Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, December 1st. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris and the transaction palooza continues as we approach what we expect to be the beginning of a lockout uh, overnight. Pencils down. Pencils down. There there are no time. There's no time for physicals now. So maybe Mm. Wednesday, midday, Wednesday afternoon as we record this, maybe the moves are pretty much done for a little while. A lock. You know, it takes it takes at least 24 hours to get someone in through a physical. So. But since we last spoke, a lot has happened, including a story from Bradford William plenty Davis. Plenty of physicals. <laughs> well, yeah, plenty of physicals have happened, but Bradford William Davis had a story about highly variable baseballs uh, in play throughout the 2021 season. We're going to save that for Friday, along with all the CBA-related stuff, because we have the triumphant return of one Britt Giroli to the show that day. And there's plenty of non-transactional stuff to get to, so we're going to kind of put that over on the Friday rundown and kind of pick up where we left off on Monday because I think within, I don't know, an hour or two of us recording the Monday episode. You got Robbie Ray right. I got Robbie Ray right. I got that. The, the timing of when that episode came out and when that news broke, hopefully to anybody who's ever thought about how long it takes to just edit a podcast, they would know that I couldn't have possibly like cheated. Like, <laughs> Why would I do that? It's a dumb thing to, to cheat about right, or lie about. Right. Anyway, Robbie Ray became a Mariner. Corey Seager went to Texas. And I think we were split on this. I think I looked at Corey Seager and, and the idea of them getting another infielder after getting Marcus Simeon, another middle infielder. And I thought, oh, that seems weird. And you said, no, this is this is real. They're they're in pursuit. It happened. Corey Seager joins the party in Texas. It's 10 years. It's three hundred and twenty five million. And I got to say, like, regardless of, of snap reactions to the deal and whether or not in year nine and 10, Corey Seager is still the kind of player that you want to be giving 30 plus million dollars to. I love when teams who haven't been spending start spending again. I like when teams are trying to get actively better. And when you take Seager and Simeon alone and just add them to a Rangers roster that was pretty flat and pretty boring for most of the 2021 season, you could be adding as many as like what fifteen war probably like if you think about like high outcome like high end outcomes for both of those players you're probably bumping at least ten war from the two players combined and they're probably not done right they made the John Gray move they have other players they're gonna bring in maybe maybe Kyle Seeger ends up joining his brother in Texas too because there are plenty of spots up for grabs but I was surprised by the some of the reaction I saw about Seeger in particular where. There was this implication that he's not going to age well. And I just wondered, like, where does that come from? Because he doesn't strike out a lot. He draws walks. He does plenty of damage when he makes contact. And he's not going to be a shortstop for the life of the deal, I don't think, because he's pretty big for a shortstop anyway. But if you're looking at hitter profiles, other than a major hip injury, which he's a few years removed from now, what are the long-term concerns with Seager that would make someone think that he's not going to age well? I suppose it is that injury history. Um, you know, for me, the, the things I look at for, for long-term aging are, you know, strikeout rate, uh, reach rate in particular. Uh, it's one of the reasons I didn't like the Javi Baez deal. Um, and uh, by all accounts, uh, you know, Seager may not have uh, Vatoian uh, discipline, uh, but he doesn't. It's not a problem there, and he has really a really good hit tool to uh, to add to that. So um, I don't. I think it would just be the injuries, and I don't know. I think that sometimes the 2020 messes us up a little bit. 
Uh, you know, 95 games last year, 134 in 2019, uh, 52 out of 60 in 2020. Uh, it it's not like Iron Man, <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, he's projected for 136 games and still manages uh, to get five wins out, out of that. So the one thing I did notice, though, when I aged uh, the deal um, and just did a, a sort of uh, rough and dirty aging curve, which you know kind of take a half win off every year. Um, they were paying for about using the steamer projection there for five wins. They were paying about 11 million per win over the life of the deal. And then everyone was, uh, clowning on the uh, Simeon deal. Uh, and they paid, uh, according to projections, at least they're paying 7 million per win on the Simeon deal. Um, so I don't know, like uh, the Semyon deal actually seems like a little bit better. Yeah, he's you know he's older, but he's there's your there's your Iron Man. I wonder if there's some. Uh, I think with Isaiah Kainer-Falefa and Josh Young, the idea is probably uh, this is kind of reading the tea leaves, a little bit of sourcing. I think Young might start the season as the third baseman. Kainer-Falefa is now your your utility guy, and that's a really I think the best way to use kind of Falefa, whose offense is not really great, but his defense is really good at shortstop. Now it doesn't matter as much that Corey Seager might miss some games. You know, you've got a really competent backup in kind of Falefa. And uh, now you, you tell me Jung, Seager, Simeon, Lowe, and I still, I think Lowe has another level to him. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's a good core. And uh, there's going to be a few more pieces probably sprinkled in. I mean, now if you are one of the one of the mid tier free agents out there, you're thinking about Texas and saying, "Hey, look, I got a good supporting cast around me. Maybe this is a better place to go." And uh, one thing I mentioned on on the Monday episode was I was definitely concerned about Marcus Simeon's counting stats taking a hit because this is this will not be the Blue Jays lineup, even with Corey Seager in it. It's still a notch below. But how good is the offense? as currently constructed. To me, it's kind of a maybe a league average sort of group altogether because of the star power and not much more than that. But again, they're not done. So one thing one thing I like is that, you know, what you see from the Cole Calhoun one for five deal is that a corner outfielder, an older corner outfielder is an easy place to get a, 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 a value. Mm-hmm. So maybe they get Jock Peterson. Maybe they get Tommy Pham. Maybe get Eddie Rosario, but there's an easy way to make left field, uh, you know, bring it up to the standards of at least of right field or maybe league average. And then um, all the places where they are not good, which is center, third and catcher. You know, if you're putting Kiner Falefa, if you're putting Leotis Taveras, if you're putting Jonah Heim, those are the places where they're below average offensively. They each have an exciting young player there. They have young at third. They have, well, Adolis Garcia isn't young, but he's at least a backup plan to Leotis Tavares. Between the one of them, one of the, the two of them might might turn into a league average guy. Neither is projected to be a league average guy, but there's there's reasons to maybe believe in either of them. Uh, and then they've got Sam Huff coming behind the plate. And all those guys are, I mean, pretty much ready, could start the season with the team. 
And I wonder if they would also be uh, in the market for a possible trade. I mean, Wilson Contreras could be on the move. We'll talk about the Jan Gomes signing and passing But they do have later. to spend some attention on the starting rotation still. Yep. I mean, there's. I think that's why they were in the, the latest rumor I saw for the Rangers was talking to the Reds about Mali or Castillo. Yeah, that certainly makes sense from Texas's perspective. Why the Reds are even interested in moving those guys, I do not quite understand. But uh, nice job by the Rangers so far, spending a lot of money really fast. And I'm curious to see what other pitchers they're able to add behind John Gray, because that's still a pretty clear need there. But I, I, I have to say that the I tweeted something about the Rangers thing. It was just it was just a. a not a fun couple of days on Twitter because of just one tweet of the, the Rangers lineup. I had half of the uh, the Rangers uh, universe was yelling at me because I put McKinney in over Adolis Garcia. I, I'm not that big a fan of Adolis Garcia. He has the the flaws of, that really get to me of the, the just a terrible reach rate, uh, you know, combined with a terrible strikeout rate. Like he doesn't have the hit tool to to be swinging at half his pitches outside the zone like he does. So I just don't think he's actually that viable going forward. Um, but yeah, maybe I should have put him in over McKinney. So I made a little mistake there, but I had, you know, all of Rangers universe clowning on me. Oh, what about Adolis Garcia, rookie of the year? I'm like, not in my book, not even close. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and then I had uh, an, the other half of baseball Twitter universe clowning on me because uh, they thought I was saying this was like a great lineup. I was like, it's better. It's better than what it was, which was, maybe the worst in the league last year mm -hmm. so it's better but uh, like to, to to tell the truth and you know this is the kind of thing that does not play on twitter which is just so aggravating i agree i don't think it's that great of a lineup yet i think that it's they did a lot of good work and yeah i maybe should have put a garcia in over mckinney but i don't think either of those guys is a solution going for i mean mckinney's been released now but anyway they have work to do, but it is, I think, I agree with you, it is nice to see a team try to put in the work. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Padre signing Machado. You know, it seemed like a year too early, and then Machado is still there playing with, the, with, with good young players coming up around him. Right, and I think you have to look at free agency that way as a multi-year sort of thing. Who's available next year? Is the class of shortstops available next year anywhere near as good as this year? Of course not. No. So if you want to get an impact shortstop, you have to be a year too early. You're talking about a 10-year deal anyway. What's the difference? Get the guy you want when he's available because he won't be available this time next year. Uh, Robbie Ray did end up with the Mariners getting a deal pretty similar to the one Kevin Gossman got from the Blue Jays. Five for 115 was the report that uh, I think we ended up seeing at the end of this. It makes sense from a, a fit perspective. I, I think this is going to be a really good rotation fairly soon because you're talking about, you know, Ray with Logan Gilbert with volume guys like Marco Gonzalez and Chris Flexen in the short term. I think Justin Dunn quietly improved in 2021 even if he's more of a 6-7 guy for them now it really hinges on the arrival of guys like George Kirby and Matt Brash who you mentioned has a great slider Emerson Hancock's not that far away so this is a really good group of pitchers that the Mariners put together and it's a good mix like totally different guys you got some young guys you got lefties you got righties just mm -hmm. all different things they're doing with that core five maybe they're going to get one more veteran to sort of hold things until some of those young guys are ready. But uh, this is another team. They've had that young core coming together for a while. Totally makes sense that they're spending. And I just like the complexion of the AL West is changing. Whereas for the last 
five years, it's been Houston's division with the A's providing most of the pressure. Now we're seeing the Rangers and the Mariners really starting to try and close that gap. And of course, the Angels, they spend, they have star power. So this could be one of the most exciting divisions in the league, if not the most exciting division in the league in 2022. I think it might push Carlos Correa back to Houston if I think about it because we were talking about how soft that lineup starts to look if you if you have holes in center catcher and short you know um you know it's not like uh you know Jordan can score all the runs himself um so I do think that there might be an arms race kind of going on that 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 maybe pushes the Astros to go to 340 or whatever it takes to get Carlos Correa uh, on Robbie Ray, uh, it's my least favorite uh, deal of the big uh, pitching deal so far. Um, you know, he popped on a year-to-year level because his location, you know, his location's improved. He improved from a 91 location plus in 2020 to a 103, I think, in 2021. Um, and I, I guess that's sustainable, but the stuff number wasn't great. And if he reverts at all, and I think his past uh, shows us that his command isn't great, um, then I don't think he's going to be... Uh, so, I don't know. Am I saying he's not going to be a Cy Young guy? I guess maybe that's just, yeah, like, duh, you know. Um, but uh, we've also seen from his history that it's not just like he'll revert to being pretty good instead of Cy Young level. It's like there were some seasons in there where he wasn't good. And he's a two-pitch guy, you know, I don't know. Well, I think the thing about Robbie Ray that that sticks with me at least is year to year. The control improvement over a full season should be legit. It shouldn't be the kind of skill that just completely disappears again. Right. There were enough changes made mechanically and approach wise. Yes, but it does for him. It, I, it's, it's, he, he had a one year pop in command and it went away. Yeah. It's, it's risky. I mean, it, it's definitely a risky deal, but I, I do like it in terms of fit because the problem I had with Gonzalez and Flexen is they're both low K rate starters, right? You can have maybe two of those guys, mm. but you need you need guys that can miss bats. It's Gil- true. Gilbert's going to miss bats. Ray is going to miss bats. Even if the walk rate keeps back up, Robbie Ray always strikes guys Gossman out. I think Gossman would have been a better a better fit for the Mariners, honestly, just because. And maybe this is a preference here for uh, having a breaking ball guy versus a changeup guy, and maybe that's legitimate. Especially if splitters, you know, I, you know, I'm hearing uh, Nick Pollock in my ear right now from Pitcher's <laughs> List. He's uh, not the biggest fan of splitters, uh, in sp- specifically because because they are hard to to command, they're hard to to harness, and so maybe that's where the the decision making came in. But Gossman has a high strikeout rate, uh, has a longer demonstrated, uh, you know, strikeout rate and walk rate success. Has had problems with homers, but the AL West is a good place to mitigate homer problems. Um, you know, so I think that might've been a better fit in my eyes, but, um, well, kudos to both of them. Uh, interesting to me that they got the same deal. Interesting to me that Gossman, like the, the Jays had Ray on the one year deal and then went out and signed Gossman first before to Ray signed same, with someone. So it's the same deal. <laughs> clearly the way they view pitching, unless Ray didn't want to go back to Toronto. I haven't. I, I have to say, my stuff and location numbers are vastly superior for Gossman. Like, they're not even in the same stratosphere as Ray. Hmm. So, if they're looking at numbers like that, then you know that might that it might explain the the idea. Yeah. So now the question is, what does Marcus Stroman get? Well, probably five and probably something in this one ten yeah, to one fifteen range. Yeah, yeah. Some, something within. About I mean, 10 he might get he might get angry if it's not a dollar over. 
Um, (laughs) But, you know, to be fair, the reason why these guys got the big deals is partially because of the strikeout rates, and he just doesn't have that. But as I detailed in in my piece, like, there are still reasons to believe in Stroman. The wider arsenal, the ground ball rate, the health, those all point actually to Stroman over the other two. Yeah. So those are the two huge signings that uh, happened after we stopped recording on Monday. And if you if you weren't following Twitter or if you weren't looking at like Rotowire or Roto World, you know, like a news aggregator, just to see everything that was happening or trade rumors, whatever you like to use to gather your news, there's a good chance that you missed Marcelo Zuna. The league mm. retroactively gave him a 20-game suspension. So the time he was gone last year, he was on paid administrative leave. Time served. It's done. Counted as time served. I think that would effectively mean that he's paying back 20 game suspension worth of salary, right? Because you're mm-hmm. not, that's not paid leave. So it's going to be a, a big amount. Right. It's, it's one of these stories that it's th- these domestic violence stories are always complicated because of incomplete information. But we've seen the league, even in the absence of charges being filed and even in the absence of a conviction, being willing to suspend players for these incidents. Now, 20 games, I mean, we were looking back at, at other suspensions under this policy. Julio Arias got 20 games back in 2019 for a domestic violence incident, right? Like, So we've, we've seen 20 games before. We get a lot of 15 and 20 gamers. Roberto Ozuna back in 2018 got 75 games, which we've seen that's longer one ones longest, like that. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the longest ones. Uh, Odubel Herrera got 85 games back in July of 2019. So like, uh, uh, just looking at it compared to other domestic violence incidents, incidents that have taken place since this policy went into effect it's at the shorter end of the range of of games suspended so and that got a lot of people angry and i can understand that because um you know the initial details that which we all remember so well uh were salacious uh terrible sounding um talk of strangulation of him hitting uh, his wife with his cast and just awful stuff. And then it turned out that the uh, the cops were lying uh, about a lot of it and uh, the stuff got dropped. And so now we're left being like, well, you know, what was the truth in this case? And so then you kind of say, okay, well, you know, baseball has has investigated, you know, this stuff pretty intensely in the past. And in this case, maybe we can assume maybe it's the same. They've 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 looked into it as hard as they can. And in the past, they've levied long suspensions, even when there were no uh, charges filed. But I don't want to appeal to authority and just say, okay, well, baseball said it was 20. So it was 20. So maybe it's not that big a deal. Um, But I also have no power of my own to, you know, like to 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 know more than these investigators. Like, you think I'm going to get more if I call his agent? You know, do you think I'm going to get more if I call Marcelo Zuna or the, you know, and in, in this case, I think I wouldn't even get more if I call the victim because that's who, you know, the, 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 the team is trying to talk to. So, uh, you know, did he get 20 because the victim decided not to talk? And in the other cases, the victim did talk or did he get 20 because this wasn't that big of a deal, but there is a history of, of domestic violence between these two. It's so complicated. I grew up seeing this sort of stuff in Jamaica. I saw it up close. I saw domestic violence up close, like in my, what I would call my family in Jamaica. And it was awful. And I would never want to support it. And then I put this up against the fact that I just don't know the details. I don't know what happened. And I also put it up against the fact that I want, I believe in redemption and that, 
you know, once people, you know, do, uh, you know, go through these programs and, 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 uh, and, and gets punished that hopefully they, they've learned some sort of a lesson and they can grow from it. Um, you know, but I, I don't want to support, uh, this, um, I, just, I you know what I mean? Mm. Like, this is why people don't talk about it because you, I think that, you know, you could get, you can get like anyone's listening. You can be rightfully be mad at me for any one of the things I just said. And I understand I'm just trying to lay out what I'm trying to figure out morally in my head every time I encounter something like this. Um, and, uh, I don't have an easy answer for anybody. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, honestly, just don't know what to do in these cases. We get questions from time to time that are even just broader about, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you guys think about supporting a team that enables a player to keep playing after serving Signs time Odebell on a suspension? When he comes back. Yeah. Or... Like the Phillies kept Odebell Herrera and, and ended up playing him a lot in 2021, right? It didn't look like he was going to make the roster back in spring training. We had a question come in like, what do you guys think about this? Should should we not support this team? Uh, I've had people ask from a fantasy perspective, like, do you roster these guys? How do you handle them? Well, we all get to choose individually, like how we build a team or how we spend our money or who we support or how we do these things. I I don't have a clear answer because of, of how complicated some of these issues can be. I have a I, I err on the side of of skepticism. Not with not necessarily just with the league, but with the legal system punishing correctly in these instances. And again, I think the details that you mentioned with the, the story. Well, I mean, changing. one one big pointer that you're correct is just the fact that how few of these have gone anywhere legally. Right. I mean, so and then even ones that have turned into eighty, you know, full season suspensions, these guys haven't. Nothing's happened to them legally. Right. So I I, I don't want to use anything related to how the legal system handles these cases as some sort of definitive judgment for right. how to proceed or, or how because then, there, then there's was. nobody then there's nobody beating anybody because we're we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, like, we're measuring iterations of horrible this we're, we're starting yeah, at horrible too. and then we're, we're layering more horrible on top of it i i, I looked at ozuna geez i started looking at the the rankings for this season like i don't know oh, six weeks ago right and you have to put the name down somewhere. You got to, like, the job is, this isn't a poor me look at the job. It's right. like, what do we do now? I have to put them somewhere. I don't care about that. That's that's just part of the job. I can look at numbers and fit them in on the list with other guys who are supposed to play the same number of that games. That doesn't mean and do the you're same going thing. to roster him or whatever. The question of whether or not I want him on my team is a different question. And once you start asking those questions, where do you draw the line? Okay, well, I'm perfectly fine just not having Marcelo Zuna on any teams. I don't care. I don't. I don't. I don't need a known abuser on my roster. Fine. I can. I can like set that as a rule and just live by that, and that's fine. I don't expect that everybody else who plays the game is going to abide by that. That's my own personal ethical code and my own personal way of going about it. But you will find if you have a mentality like that, you have to draw a line somewhere. And it's it's not it's not as easy as you'd like it to be. Like I think there's a part of me at least, and part of a lot of people, that's like fire him into the sun, make him go away forever. Well, that'd be great. That'd be a convenient way of not having to talk about it, talk about the issue, talk about the player. Unfortunately, that's not an option. This is this is reality. He's going to play. He's going to play a lot. He's going to hit home runs, and someone in your league is going to want him on your team. And maybe that person's you. And I'm. I'm not here to pass judgment on people that say, you know what, he served a suspension. 
Hopefully he's better and we're moving on. If that's how you want to approach it, that's how you should approach it. Uh, but it's just it's one of those things where this, what we do know, the little bit that we do know is bad enough. And this was the case with like Jose Reyes a few years ago too. I'm comfortable just saying I'm out. Like I just, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to deal with this. I'm not. Cool he also with this. made it easier on us because he was the terrible player and you know wasn't at that yeah. point. You know, sure, like that that complicates things too. And again, like I, I know this is this is trivial in the grand scheme of things, but it's a question we get. It's a problem we all mm-hmm. have to look at in some regard. And and I don't think that throwing your hands up and saying we don't know anything, so therefore I don't care. I don't think that's awesome, <laughs> you know, because there are times when we know a lot. And so are you just going to say, okay, I only care in the times that we know a lot. Right. So, but, but there's a, such a slippery slope too. Cause um, you know, the thing that nobody talks about in baseball and, and maybe in society is larger. It's like, there's uh, you know, between you and your wife or, or just in general, you may have a, a moral code about cheating. Uh, and then there's what happens out there. And if, if it is against your moral code, uh, you know, if cheating is against your moral code, um, I have some bad news about baseball players. Right. And I, in that, I don't think that's any way comparing it's not domestic violence and, you know, but it is, it's that like, it is that part of that process now that like, uh, if you do open it up and say like, I'm going to think about the morals of these players and think about if they line up with mine. Then it's then it just feels even more impossible when you're like, wow, I I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to you know support these people either you know these types of people or these types of, you know it's like I don't know man it's it's uh it's tough I, I I am generally trying not to have Mizuno on but at the same time you know in my value sheet in this auto new league that I'm in I'm doing an auto new uh, uh mock draft. And, uh, you know, in my value sheet, it said 16 bucks and on the, in the, in the auction room, he was at six and I was like, God dang it. I at least can't get, I can't let the person who's going to say, I don't care about this, uh, get him for super cheap. (laughs) So I price enforced a little bit. And then when it got up to 10, I was like, I'm out. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but the, the downside on that one is if if you're just doing that just to say, hey, look, I just want to do right by the rest of the league and push the the stat generator. I'm again playing devil's advocate. Right. I'm gonna push this stat generator to fifteen dollars and then back out because that's what my Headline, sheet says. You know, well, Braves outfielder. <laughs> suddenly, like you have that player, and now, now you're I'm now him. I'm doing some weird moral gymnastics, man. I'm, yeah. I I know I know I'm I'm throwing this out there so that people know that like I'm not. I'm not trying to look down my nose at anybody. I'm a flawed person. And, you know, I don't think this is, I don't think that was the right move. <laughs> I didn't feel good about it. But I also was like, I don't want the guy who decided he doesn't care to just get Marcelo Zuna for three bucks. And I'm, I guess I'm more just in the boat of saying, I don't care. I don't care. If someone, someone gets them for a dollar in my league. I don't they, care. They, they did that. They did, they did that. They can, they can enjoy, enjoy a possible $15 profit. Good for you. Like, I'll, I'll just go get someone else. Like it's fine. Do, is there does there like does there's a sunset on it where like because this is what we were talking about with like Odebell's you know service time came back. Like I do think that people forget. Uh, I don't think that people remember as well that you know the old as Chapman uh, situation. I mean it didn't turn out to be you know like 81 games or whatever, but like you know there is that on him, and you know he there was no change in his auction value from season to season. 
No, and he's been on. I mean, like again, acknowledging he's been on teams that I've had. Like, and, mm-hmm. and I think if you co-manage a team with someone, that can also add a layer of complexity. Oh but I've had teams that I've solo managed where Chapman's been on my team in the past. And again, we're we're working with the information that's reported, which is not even complete information, and mm-hmm. trying to decide. Okay, this crossed the line. This didn't. And you know, retroactively, I'm looking at the Chapman situation. If you start to get on the road of here's what was reported, what else happened? My brain goes to the more bad stuff happened that we don't know about. That's yeah. that's where I start to go. And if I take the very like this is what I know and I base it on that, then I kind of like round the other way. And I don't I don't like that. I don't I don't mm. like I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, generally speaking, but I don't want to give people who are abusers the benefit of the doubt which is mm-hmm. again this is all probably a little circular and and weird but i just i don't think it was an accident that this news was slipped in on a monday when transactions were just going off because mm-hmm. everybody the, was the talking about everything a friday else. news dump but they couldn't do it on a friday this this <laughs> This no. Friday, because nothing else is going to be happening in baseball on Friday. No, and of course, there's uh, one more huge uh, suspension they have to address at some point in that's going to come down months too. So, which I I wonder actually if the lockout, I think that they won't be able to resolve that. They have to wait until the lockout's over to, to handle further suspensions. Yeah, because uh, the idea is that uh, teams can't talk to players. And I think that goes all the way to like administ like baseball's administration won't talk to players because they are on mass not employed anymore. Hmm. Well, because there is no agreement between the play- the labor and the and the owners. And like I think baseball's front office really represents the owners, right? Like that's what we say about Ranford and stuff. Right. Well, it makes it makes sense based on on that logic. I don't think we've had a situation like this with this policy before, where a suspension would be hanging in the balance the way it is with, of course, Trevor oh, Bauer. It's, it's going to be so awful too because he's going to fight it like nobody's fought fought in the past. Yeah, it's it's not going to be a fun. And it's not going to start. Month. It's not going to start resolving itself. I think um, this. I don't know this, you know, for sure, but I think it won't start resolving itself until they have a CBA in, in place again. Which could be a while, but we'll get something to look forward to when they get back together again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something to look forward to. Exactly. Uh, Moving on to some more moves, though, there were some trades. Uh, Jacob Stallings went to the Marlins, which I think is more of a two catcher situation. Going to play a lot, handles the pitching staff really well, won a gold glove. Good things all happening there. I think the return is a little more interesting just because Stallings was going to play a lot in Pittsburgh and he's going to play a lot with the Marlins. Zach Thompson was sent back to the Pirates as part of that return. And Thompson's one of those guys where the results were good. The underlying numbers raised some questions. So I'm I'm just curious what you see in Thompson and if you like this move for the Pirates who quickly added Roberto Perez as a replacement for Stallings. And now they have their their veteran bridge to, to Henry Davis. So I think like catching wise, like they're kind of the same, but now they get a controllable pitcher that you know, could chew up a lot of innings and maybe be an above average starter for them. Yeah. I mean, Thompson, 94 stuff, 99, uh, you know, hundred command. Uh, it's interesting because I think the corresponding move was releasing cool who has 103 stuff, uh, and 91 command. Uh, so I don't know if they're like making more of a bet on command here in this, in this situation. 
Um, either way, the the pitching plus the overall number is better for Thompson than Cool. Uh, so maybe they just see they like the command and they think they can change a shape. You know, it could be as simple as that. Um, in any case, I guess Thompson is a better pitcher than Chad Cool. If I was out there looking for relief, though, I, I would I would look at Chad Cool. Because I, I would say that, you know, here's a guy with good stuff that maybe if we turf, you know, two pitches and make him just a two-pitch guy, maybe we can, you know, uh, get rid of that command problem. Yeah, yeah, Chad Cool. The Stallings, San, the Stallings Roberto Perez thing is just a little bit weird to me because the Marlins could have just signed Roberto Perez. I think I don't Stallings think that is a better defender, though. I guess, but I I always heard that Roberto Perez was really good uh, in terms of game calling and framing and 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 receiving, like I've always heard that the uh, the his his guys love him. I guess uh, his offense has really fallen off. Holy crap! Uh, for the last two years, Roberto Perez's uh, WRC plus is below fifty. Wow! So uh, also as a part of this, I think Alfaro Jorge Alfaro ended up in in San Diego. Which is just kind of a hilarious little like, like Texas two step. I, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just they all like they all just switch catchers. You know, they're like, okay, we take. I'll take yours. You take mine. You do, and like somehow through all of it, Zach Thompson's on the Pirates, but uh, Alfaro has fallen off. I remember people pushing back when I said that uh, the Phillies went from near bottom uh, in catching to basically the top by trading Alfaro for uh, Giotto Rumuno. I have to say, uh, what happened with Alfaro since has uh, made me more right than wrong. I don't I don't know. I, I hadn't checked in with him a while because he's not my type of player. I mean, big strikeouts. But uh, he the power disappeared. I don't, I don't understand what's going on with Jorge Alfaro. Alfaro. Well, if you looked at him as a, a pure backup option instead of as a starter, right? Good defense, big arm, has mm-hmm. some pop, can run into some homers, steals a few bases too. He's got ten Still steals. Still has a near ten percent barrel rate for his career, and had a one sixteen max EV last year. It's just can't make contact and doesn't take a walk. There are plenty of less interesting backup catchers in the league than Jorge Alfaro. <laughs> so if, if that's how they see him, and Austin Nola is the primary guy. And it's maybe like 60-40 favoring Nola or even a little more favoring Nola. Well, okay. I think there's some some there's also the the point that maybe Alfaro could be a starting level catcher if Nola's injury uh doesn't progress. Man, so you got a little more depth there, whereas like Victor Caratini ends up being the the U Darvish catcher. I think the, the surprising thing for me though is the, don't they want to play Luis Campusano? I just wonder if maybe they have a, a trade in the works where he ends up going somewhere else. I mean the main uh, the main problem in San Diego remains uh, Eric Hosmer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it it is amazing when uh, when you think oh you know years from now twenty million dollars a year won't be that big a deal. Um, then you look at the current Padres and you're like oh man it is all like if they had that twenty million dollars right now they could get a lot better. They're getting zero from Eric Hosmer and they're spending they're spending. Let's see what it is. 20 million, 21 million on them this year. Um, the luxury tax estimate for them right now is 202 million on roster resource. And the luxury tax was like 205 or 210 last year. 
So they have no money. And so I, 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 th- I find that kind of interesting that maybe Alfaro, Caratini, Nola, Camposano, like maybe there's a trade happening there. And the trade would have to be for a reliever. That was maybe a starter. It's a good bullpen, though, last year. They didn't lose a ton from that group. I, Except yeah, the closer. One more reliever would be would be nice for them. It could be it could be for a frontline reliever, maybe with the uh with the A's, although they ha- they have Sean Murphy, but who 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 are we who's looking for catching and has pitching? Well, the Brewers. Hmm. Says the guy wearing the Brewers hat. But they had Severino to the Narvaez duo though, so like that's a that's they a have fine made trades with each for now. Other. Yeah. They have made trades with each other. Uh, but see, the Cubs are also selling Wilson Contreras, and they just signed Jan Gomes to uh, guaranteed money, $13 million over two years. So uh, the trade watch is pretty high over there, and that means that uh, if you're selling Luis Camposano, somebody can say, well, I can take Wilson Contreras. So now you're saying, well, okay, which rebuilding squad has some pitching and would take a catcher? And I don't think there is a team like that. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the, the catchers that are – available to the Jays actually have young catching available because Alejandro Kirk and, and Gabriel Moreno plus Danny Jansen they, there's there's not enough playing time there for all those guys so one of their could catchers the, could be on the move could one of the Mets want a catcher they'd want like Nola they wouldn't want Camposano they just spent money on McCann but they could go younger and, and work in somebody else I mean there's a few teams that could use one um Guardians. Reds trade Guardians are Austin Hedges and Sandy Leone right now. And they've made well, they a got deal. Bo Naylor coming up soon. So they got a young catcher already. Hmm. It's kind of strange. Like teams are a little more set at catcher than you'd expect. I mean Houston okay, Houston probably also would look for the an bar upgrade. Is so low. <laughs> right. Is, is but Martin I mean, I Maldonado, guess you could say there's lots of teams that could use an offensive catcher. Martin Maldonado is more of a backup that plays like a starter. And we were talking about how Houston was having, uh, like, had too many empty holes. Maybe they'd want an actual offensive guy there. I would say that they'd probably go for Wilson Contreras over Camposano or Nola. Yep. So you could go there. You could look at the Angels as a team that would trade for a catcher. I said in the last episode, I like Max Stassi, but a lot of injuries there. So you could add a catcher there. Mariners, if you if you're not in on uh, Cal Raleigh, but I do know the pitchers love throwing to him. So Cardinals, how how do the Cardinals feel long term after Yachty? Do you want to get Yachty's replacement and have him work with Yachty there, or do you think you're just wasting? But that's time? a weird. They seem to be building for now like, to trade an arm that could help them this year for a catcher that could help them next year. Yeah, that doesn't really work from a... It'd have to be probably a three-team trade to get them involved. All this no, is a long a, way of saying it's... Uh, it's that's kind of weird. I don't I don't know. I don't... Like, if we we, we every once in a while have that, like, fixing the... You know, fixing the Padres. Do, 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 do. I don't know how to <laughs> fix the Padres. I, I will point out that if you look at team war totals um, in terms of uh, the depth chart at Fangraphs... Uh, the Padres have the third best uh, war totals uh, in baseball. Nope, that's not right anymore. Uh, after some moves, the Padres are now one, two, three, four, five, sixth, but still stops top six in the league. Right there between the Astros and Blue Jays. I don't know. 
It seems like an okay place to be. Yeah, we got really far into the weeds on catchers. Uh, so <laughs> we could talk about the other guy that signed a hundred plus million dollar deal. Oh, no, wait, no. No, let's talk about Jorge Alfaro some more. <laughs> let's talk about no, another guy with one, bad plate discipline. But This is my least favorite deal so far. I mean, so that's the thing, too. So you mentioned like Robbie Ray, like five for 115. You're not wild about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Javier Baez, six for 140. The Tigers have spent in the past, they've held off for a few years because they've been rebuilding. Like the Rangers, nice to see them spending again. Not every deal can work out long term. Again, we want to see players get paid. That's awesome. That's great. I think when they were previously looking at Carlos Correa, I was really excited about them being the team to get Correa instead of the Yankees or instead of having to go back to the Astros. Baez going to the Tigers is fine, but it is a profile that you just look at and say, if I had to bet on a profile to not age very well, that offensive profile is it, despite his ability to do a ton of damage when he connects, because it's just, it's year over year. We're talking about almost 200 games going back to the shortened season where he's got a K rate over 30%. I think he's kind of crossed over to this range where I don't think that's necessarily coming back down, right? When he was sitting in the like 2018, that 2018 season, Javier Baez had a 25.9% K rate. If he lives there, that works. But once he gets north of 30, I just think you're you're giving away too many plate appearances. We've talked about O-swing percentages before. You're always going to find him right or near. If he's not the worst, he's always like right around there. Usually he's worst among qualified hitters because he keeps playing because his defense is good and he Third does a lot of things well. Year. 47% of the pitches he saw outside of the zone. It's mind-boggling. As gifted as he is, as tooled up as Javier Baez is, I am just, surprised just an, by this. Yeah, and, and just as an example, like you know, I talk about Votto a lot. Votto is like at eighteen percent. That's that describes the gap, the biggest gap in baseball is like Votto to Baez, basically. Uh, I just try to do the math real quick using steamer projections, and it looks like they paid twenty-one million dollars per projected win. I just. I just don't understand why. I, like, why would you do that? I think the and then the I, I the only thing that I could say is like you know uh, I went on Michelle Beadle's show and she and she was like, well, you know, aren't the guys in the room like can't they see these things? Like, what is, what are they saying in Detroit that makes them think that they should sign this? And I was like, well, okay, so that you I guess you would say Steamer's defensive value is wrong, right? Sure. And it says Steamer says he's going to be slightly above average. Maybe you say he's the best shortstop in baseball. Maybe you you say outs above average has it wrong because outs above average has him, uh, you know, 82nd in baseball overall and behind Marwin Gonzalez as a shortstop, behind Eric Gonzalez, behind Haseong Kim. Mm. Um, maybe you say all those were wrong. We have him as the best shortstop in baseball. He's projected as an offense, offensive, as a hitter, to be below average next year. And he's been below average in uh, basically half of the seasons he's played. So, and, and offensive projections are better than defensive projections. Or, you know, our offensive projections are decent, really good. That's like the, the, the best thing we can do in baseball right now is project a hitter. So, I don't. 
I don't get it. I don't get it. I thought he would I thought he would really fall and end up getting like a three and forty five or something. That somebody would jump because they're like, oh well, for the next three years he'll be all right. At six and one forty boggles my mind. Right. If you said pick the deal that you think could be Hosmerian a few years in, even though they're very way. different players, yeah, this is it. Because like you, I would have thought three for sixty, right? Twenty twenty million a year for three years. For okay. Short term. That that's fine. Like he, you don't get screwed. At least you have a defensive shortstop for a while. And they've got so few long term financial commitments right now that it, it it may not matter. It it really might not. Like I, it could all end up being fine. That it's funny. There's an opt out after 2023. You're almost like happy as a Tiger fan if he plays so well that he opts out after 2023 because you you crushed it for the, two the, years. You got you got yeah. elite Baez for two years where the K rate did come back down. The defense was really good, and you know, your team was probably a lot better than expected, sooner than I expected. I think I would still be happy if those things happened and he opted out and he went somewhere else because just that reach rate, that type of that type of offensive profile is the worst when it comes to aging. It's even with those flaws, look at what he's done in the last three full seasons. We throw out the, the 2020 season a lot of times because it's just garbage, but... A 116 WRC plus in 2021 for Baez, a 112 back in 2019, and a 131. That was a career best in that amazing 2018 season. Like, you must, on some level, think he can get back close to 2018 if you give him a contract like this, which I'm kind of excited to learn someday. He's only why. done that one in his once in his year. Like, I think it'd be, I would be very surprised if he got to like a 110 WRC plus next year hmm. and, and did even a, a 2019. I mean, he's done it each of the last two full seasons, though, so I don't think it'd be that surprising. Yeah, I guess. And I, I think mean, the, the thing I hate about this part of our conversation, I feel like a jerk because, like, if you're a Tigers yeah, fan, you I should know. still be happy that I they're know. they're out spending money and adding a player. Your team I is know. better with him than it was without him. Like, that's that's the truth. And I really, I do enjoy watching Javier Baez play. Yeah, and I don't want to be uh, part like somehow complacent in. Some grand, you know, nerd bias against uh, Latin players. I, I think that's uh, frankly uh, a canard and just not a good uh, line of argument because there are plenty of players that do have plate discipline. It doesn't, it's not, there's not something inherent about coming from the Dominican Republic or coming from a different place where you just don't walk. That's, I mean, no, that's an absurd trope that needs to go away. It's a problematic thing if you think about it that way, I think. Uh, in terms of stolen bases, like, you know, if you can do them at a high success rate, people will still let you do them. Um, I don't know. I don't think that, that the nerds are at fault here for, you know, whatever. Uh, Yandy Diaz is, you know, a great player. It's just, you know, and his best thing that he does is not reach at anything. Uh, it's almost irrelevant but it's, it's you know it's something you have to point out like there's just these players that are you know I wouldn't bet on Javier Baez's profile as much as I enjoy watching him play. Yeah, one of the most fun players to watch, just the kind of guy that if you're in this market adding middle infield help at that price for that amount of time, you missed out on on a player that will probably do better relatively speaking. I think that's where I'm at. It reminds me of uh Paulo Sandoval where uh, you know, coming, you know, growing up here in the Bay Area to some extent and uh, and seeing him uh, firsthand do so many great feats. And then 
uh, just being a loving person and uh, a great clubhouse guy uh, that was a real glue guy for a lot of those Giants teams. Uh, I, at the same time, when you know the Red Sox signed with that deal, I, I wrote a piece about how how much I thought it was a bad idea. Um, you know, just have to give your analysis, I think. Yeah, sometimes it's how it goes. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. A few more moves to get to. Larry Garcia re-up with the White Sox. It's a three-year deal. I didn't see money on that. He's a play-everywhere sort of guy. 16 million. 16 mil? Yeah. Nice. Good for him. I don't think... I mean, it's not going to hamstring them. And I, I think in some ways uh, he's like Chris Taylorian. Yeah, less power, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you need, you need so guys they, like this. They think he's better, you know, better than maybe even his war suggested he is because he can play everywhere and brings up the floor at a lot of different positions. So, yep. So I think that's a, a smooth move for them to bring him back. Uh, Joey Wendell also a trade by the Marlins. They acquired him from the Rays. Very similar idea. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that Birdie couldn't do this for them. Yeah. Birdie, I said this at the time, the problem or the concern I had with John Birdie, it took him so long to to get that opportunity and to, to do well with it. It was such a great story. The the aging curve, the the simple fact that he was, you know, twenty nine or Already, yeah. twenty nine when he broke out, that gave me some concerns about his ability to sustain that. Uh, held into the shortened season in terms of WRC plus, did not have a good year in twenty twenty one. So I, I I get it. I understand like why they'd make that switch. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the John Birdie situation didn't play out the way some people had hoped. Uh, but Wendell is a, a lefty version of that kind of player and, and a higher floor guy, too, based on what we've seen throughout his career. Left-handed. Uh, I think that helps him. He has a platoon advantage more often. He's above average in most facets of the game. I remember when he got traded to Oakland, I said to Billy Bean, like, you know, most people think this guy doesn't have a carrying tool. He doesn't have a thing that he does well, that well, you know, and Bean said he's just, yeah, he's average or above average in most facets of the game. That's why we like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up being right about that, I think. Um, I think as he ages, it'll it'll help him find a, a niche as maybe a platoon, maybe backup. Um, I see a potential natural platoon. If, if Brian Anderson is bad next year, then uh, Joey Wendell will get the bigger side of the platoon at third base and Brian Anderson will be a platoon partner. If Brian Anderson is good next year and Joey Wendell is also good, I could see Brian Anderson going back to the outfield and he's with Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz uh, basically taking center and fourth outfield uh, between them. 
Um, and if Joey Wendell is bad, then he's just a backup uh, at third and second. The return for the Rays was Cameron Meisner, a first-rounder, 35th overall pick in the 2019 draft, uh, left-handed hitting outfielder, 23 years old. Struck out 27.4% of the time in a brief taste of double-A, spent most of 2021 at high A, uh, was above average in terms of WRC+, has power, has speed, draws walks, needs to cut down on the swing and miss as he advances to be an impact player. But Looked pretty good in the AFL. Uh, and then has had a very high success rate on his steals, and you know he's like six four, two twenty or something. So he's he's a, a physical specimen that uh, that could break out. Key here, of course, the Rays among years the teams control. for yeah years of control <laughs> no and arbitration and money, forty <laughs> man roster crunch too. Also playing into yeah. this, um, you know, Taylor Walls probably plays a bit more because Wendell's gone. So that's good news for him. He can be a guy that plays all over for them. Plays a legitimately good defensive shortstop, but they you know have that. Wander Franco they, guy there, so yeah, I think that Walls could uh, has a higher ceiling than than Wendell, yeah, because he's a switch hitter. He has the ta- ability to tap into that power, uh, and he has patience. What's What's interesting about it is, as a switch hitter with more upside, I find it fascinating to try and prognosticate where he's going to go because uh, you could just uh, slide him in um, as a platoon partner, but as a switch hitter, he becomes the the uh the left-hander at third and the right-hander at second and then all of a sudden he's basically got a full-time gig right yeah or like 85 percent of one or 90 percent of one pretty close brandon lau like you kind of don't want to play him against lefties and yandy diaz has been uh been a lefty kind of sliding towards lefty only so there is an opportunity there. The only the only obstacle I see is other than like uh continued moves and signings is Vidal Bruhan. Now, if they bring in Vidal Bruhan to be second base center, depending on how much they want to play him at second, uh, then that makes uh, Walls more of a platoon guy at third. Still, big side of platoon, maybe, and still a switch hitter. So I think Walls is kind of a fascinating dollar play in in leagues next year, at, yeah. at least as, as the roster stands now. Yeah, good glue guy, and uh, one that has, I think, a little bit more categorical juice than a lot of the other similar players. More than Wendell, more than Larry Garcia, even, who we just talked about. More than Pinder. David Fletcher when he's not getting everyday volume, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that's that's the sort of thing that makes Walls pop uh, just a little bit. Chance to take a full-time job, too. I, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, Wendell has an outside chance of taking a full-time job, but I don't I don't see it right now that he's... that. I wouldn't say he's definitely going into that. No, I, I think they see him as someone that plays multiple spots, like four days a week. Mm-hmm. I think he's in about four days a week. Uh, but I, I think in all this, Lewis Brinson DFA'd by the Marlins, by the way, maybe a fresh start somewhere else, new hitting coaches, gets him back on track, but... He's had a, a few fresh starts, though. Yeah. What's this, his, this next one would be his fourth organization. Yep, that'll be his fourth. But someone will take a chance. I mean, why not? Uh, Clint Frazier added to the Cubs as well. I mentioned Jan Gomes earlier on that two-year deal. Yeah, Lewis Brinson of the Cubs. Come on, Brinson and Frazier out there. I like See what Frazier. You get. You, it worked with Wisdom and uh, and who? Uh, uh, their first baseman, Schwindel. Frank Schwindel, yeah. Clint Frazier... I mean, I, I saw this comp go up on, on Twitter. He could be this year's Jock Peterson for them, even if he's not playing for the Cubs after the trade deadline. He's playing for someone as a as a contender's like fourth outfielder type. That makes sense. Yeah, there's some swing and miss, but he draws a ton of walks. 
double-digit barrel rates in three consecutive seasons. Who's this, Brinson? Clint Frazier. Oh, yeah, Frazier. I'm in on Frazier, man. I thought that was a great deal. I think it's weird that Avi Garcia is like a four-year, 50-plus million-dollar player and Clint Frazier and is available on the scrap heap. Gr- that is a great comp, too, because Avisel Garcia had trouble uh, getting his footing early in his career, right? A lot of injuries and, for him, too. And Avisel Garcia has decent reach rates and he's an amazing athlete. And and, and Clint Frazier is similar in that regard. And then Avisel Garcia is terrible at roots and makes the least of his defensive abilities. And Frazier's the same way. And I guess for the Yankees, they were just like, well, we just can't have another terrible defender because right now we have Stanton. We have, you know, we have Judge. Judge is a pretty good defender, but like we we have people we need to play at DH and we don't want to have a young guy that is struggling in New York and also can't play defense. He's a great fit for a team light on big league talent in the corners uh, because they can they can afford to run him out there every day. Maybe this could end up being uh, the 2022 version of the Hunter Renfro edition by the Red Sox. I think there's another similar player. I, but I think Frazier is a really fun pickup in drafts. Yeah, just plenty of playing time, easy power, probably good counting stats with the runs and RBIs to support it. Yeah, there's obvious batting average downside. Who cares if he hits 230 or 240 where you're drafting him? Better in LVP leagues. What you're getting from him overall, definitely good enough at the price. Uh, Cesar Hernandez ends up with the Nationals. I mean, still more of a mono-league sort of player. I think the speed's tapered off. He, he's not he the same. He hit a bunch of barrels last year. He became kind of a more of a power hitter. Yeah, he's not the same OBP machine that he was a few years ago, though, either. So yeah. it kind of feels like this might be one of his last opportunities it, as a regular. Yeah, I thought it might have been a better fit uh, uh, to go to uh, the Blue Jays on a on – a, um, on a like a basically a cheap option for what they're going to do, which makes me think maybe the Blue Jays will go get Chris Bryant because if you actually look through free agent infielders that are left, um, <laughs> it's Chris Bryant. I, I, like, and I'm saying non-shortstop because yes, there are there's Story, so you, I guess they could be in on Story. I doubt you know Correa is not going to come over as a third baseman unless they give him three hundred fifty million dollars, which I just don't. I don't think they're going to do that. So I guess outside shot of story on a cheaper deal, uh, maybe Bryant or maybe maybe they're done and it's Espinal and Biggio. Yeah, Biggio could end up playing a lot more than expected. I mean, this is one of the, the fun things about drafting this early. If you think they get shut out on the other options, if they don't make a trade, then he'd probably be the guy most likely to fill the bulk of that playing time, even though they'll mix and match and and do some different things. They're going to add someone to that depth chart. I think chart. they have to add someone because Espinal is kind of a defensive guy. You can't, you can't have holes at second and third. They'll, they'll add one. If they only add one, that could still be good for Biggio. If they add two, then he's more of their utility guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Biggio will play. I, I think, yeah, no matter what, because I think they're only going to add one. But let me let me give you... The, I mean, there was some Freddie Freeman uh, 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 rumors, which... I mean, it, w- it would make that offense pretty awesome, uh, but it would also put Vlad back at third. Mm-hmm. And Biggio's not a good defender. So you would have... Uh, and Springer is getting older in center, so like you, your only really good defender would be Bo. I don't, I don't see that I do, I don't see happening. <laughs> the Freeman-Dodgers uh, stuff is more realistic. Rizzo. We have to include Rizzo to the Blue Jays if Freeman to the Blue Jays is a possibility. Uh, but other than that, uh, 
uh, average, close to average at all. Donovan Solano, uh, Josh Harrison, uh, Kyle Seeger. That's the cheap option that's left. Trade. It's a, the, the answer is a trade, I think, because, again, the catching depth they have. That catching depth could get them an infielder. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Although I don't, I think that Kyle Seager would actually be a fun little thing. And the 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 thing that the Bre- the the Cubs are doing right now reminds me a lot of what the Giants have done. Right, just go out and claim all the near major league ready free guys you can claim. Right, who cares if they're twenty eight or twenty nine or whatever? Get good coaching, coach them up, and 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 have them be good. You know, I, I it seems kind of reminiscent of the Giants' plan. Um, why not in Toronto uh, just sign Kyle Seeger as your Rich Hill of offense? <laughs> I had to get him in one more time. You had to get a Rich Hill mention in I did. <laughs> talking about a old third baseman. For third baseman. <laughs> you, need, you need some Kyle assistance. Kyle Seeger at third for the Blue Jays for me, baby. All right. Uh, the other playing time... Winner, I think, of all the moves position player wise, Ruben Odor ends up with the Orioles. I mean, I think it was Rob Silver who had a, a WRC it a plus by year tweet. Claim or what? They just he was free agent. They just signed him. Uh, right. So WRC plus by year. Yes, Ruben Odor is not a good player. Like the guy that we saw back in 2016, probably isn't walking back through the door. The thing is, he's he going could to have play. A massive year. He could be a 205, 210, 215 type hitter with a crappy OBP, but he'll pile up homers, he'll pile up runs, he'll pile up RBIs. It it might be the kind of player where you got to make sure you're heavy on, on batting average to offset the counterweight because he's going to play so much and hurt you so much in that category. But everything else, categorically speaking, is probably going to be average or better if you assume he's an everyday guy in that hitter-friendly environment. And I don't think that's an unfair expectation. Just a wild-ass projection. I just want to read this. I'm just going to read it. It's it's just wild. 212 batting average from Steamer. 285 on base percentage. 413 slugging. That sounds bad, but it's 18 homers in 384 plate appearances. So if he does get to 600, then you could be talking about 30 homers and a 215 average. It's it's look, it's draft and hold season oh, and guys that will play as much as he's going to play yeah. are definitely draftable. So for monoleague purposes, for draft and holds, I think this is actually one of the also few places he could have gone to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean they, they Maybe just he'll punch someone again. Ah. Uh, let's get to some pitchers. Uh we've got Alex Cobb going to the Giants, which cost Joe Palumbo his roster spot. Joe Palumbo non tendered. Maybe he'll Aww. end up back somehow but uh you were on alex cobb as a, a good sort of bargain bin. on somewhere somehow yeah bargain no. bin pitcher big loss for the angels really so i guess uh sammy long and tyler beady if they don't uh if they don't sign another one one of those guys is going to actually pitch uh, a fair amount in the big leagues next year i mean either way even if they add another guy sammy long and tyler beady are going to matter to the giants next year that's okay it's not not a problem I'd, I'd like what they're doing Cobb to me was uh an absolute value uh his stuff was only about 97 but his location was really nice and um his splitter uh you know d- doesn't get great whiffs in the zone but uh had a really low zone rate so if there's any any chance that um 
he could throw some some splitters in the zone, which is uh, something Gossman did. Uh, to have basically a ball to strike splitter, um, and they would have just worked with Gossman. So uh, maybe Andrew Bailey can get him to throw a ball to strike splitter, and uh, that could actually uh, be part of of even even better season from Cobb in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean uh, we're assuming universal DH at this point, so. You still have that, but a more pitcher-friendly environment, I think, is a nice little win for Cobb. Really nice curve and splitter combo. Once he once he got the splitter back after his injury, he was really good. I mean, the sinker isn't great, but uh, he has three pitches that he can move in and out. Kind of similar to the way we described Wood and Anthony Descafani and when they would be in lineups. I think Alex Cobb is going to be in lineups for pretty much the same matchups. Yeah. Same kind yeah. of usage if you end up getting him probably in that two. Maybe you're just range. a slight bit. Uh, re- maybe you just like you know. Maybe you don't pitch him the time that he's got. He's away at the Dodgers and home at the Padres. Yeah, that's maybe. about it at Rockies, just because of the park. Right. James Paxton signed with the Red Sox with team options for two additional years. He's still working his way back from surgery, so mm. don't know if there's a, a massive like. 2022 interest for me but curious to see if he can make it back because projections are always good the per inning projections are good and i wonder since you love rich hill so much (laughs) could could james paxton different different in terms of velocity but could he be the kind of guy that battles all these injuries goes through this long stretch of not staying healthy and it comes back through in his 30s and ends up hanging around and even if he's not a 180 innings every year I wonder if he's the kind of guy that ends up being a surprisingly effective per inning guy for longer than we'd expect, despite all of the the injuries that have slowed him down in recent years. Um, I don't know. I think that the reason Rich Hill has hung on for so long is the same reason Adam Wainwright has hung on so long is just an elite curveball. And I'm not sure that I'm going to give James Paxson's cutter that designation. Fair. So uh, I'd be more likely... I mean, Cobb maybe could be someone that could stick around, but I don't know if that uh, curveball is elite. Who's 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 a young man with an elite curveball? Urias might be heading that direction. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go to, let's see here, pitch info, pitch values, curveballs. Best curveballs in the game as a, as a proxy real quick. Charlie Morton. Yeah, Charlie Morton is doing that right now. Um Burns. Yeah, I guess it could be Burns. Nola. He's he's already elite, though. Maybe Nola hangs on for a long time. But some of these guys are, I I expect elite guys to age gracefully. I just think Paxton, for Rich Hill, he he disappeared for a few years. We didn't even, he wasn't wasn't pitching anywhere. Uh Right? His his road back was a long road back. Paxton's already 33, and it's been what, two years now where he's made a total of uh, six starts because of injury? I mean, I, I hope he makes it back because there's plenty of Ks. It's a solid walk rate. Home runs are a bit of an issue for him, but there's still quite a bit there to be excited about. So it could be one of the one of those guys that it's a minor move right now, but we look at it a year from now and say, hey, look, this was actually a pretty smart move by the Red Sox getting some high-quality innings. Uh, before other teams were were willing to jump in with James yeah, Paxton. I do wonder when he's going to come back. I mean, he missed a- almost all of last year. He pitched one inning. So theoretically, he could be back in May or June. But then you have to put that up against the back background of like his other uh, 
know how do you say it, injury proneness. Yeah, a lot of forearm issues even prior to the Tommy John for uh, James Paxton. Uh, non-tender-related stuff, Matthew Boyd, as expected among the players non-tendered. I think Richard Rodriguez was another notable. Uh, Daniel Vogelback as the Boyd Brewers could be uh, Rich Hillian. I think, you know, he's kind of a one-pitch guy. Yeah. I think the breaking ball is pretty good and the fastball is pretty bad and, you know. Probably more of a 2023 guy, though, just coming off the injury. So not necessarily a guy I'm all that excited about in the immediate future either. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the bigger news, aside from the non-tender stuff, which was, you know, whatever, it's fine. Rysel Iglesias goes back to the Halos, which they needed to make a move. They needed bullpen help. They stay with uh, a guy they're familiar with. It is a four-year deal. I think I know uh, talking to Keith Law on the Athletic Baseball Show, he's He's not a four-year guy for relievers, and most people aren't. I don't, I don't think most people go, yes, I want to sign a reliever for four years. Iglesias, though, has aged very well. and He had, uh, him and Loop had the best, the uh, Loop was number one, and Iglesias number two, best stuff plus uh, among free agent relievers. So they went and got the two best guys. He's going to be 32 in January, so this covers him through his age 35 season. I think the thing about Iglesias that makes him a little more interesting for me is he's a three-pitch closer. Yes. And I yes. think that will give him a chance to actually age a lot better than fastball slider guys. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence. You know, st- Starting pitchers don't, don't lose strikeout rate um, as fast as they lose velocity. Relievers usually lose strikeout rate as fast as they lose velocity because they're usually two-pitch guys. And so once you start losing some fastball, you lose it. But if you have more of a starting pitcher arsenal, I think you can age better. So absolutely, you he can mix it up, you know, um, and you it makes it harder to just sit fastball on him. He, you know, what's funny too is I don't know if he's still doing this, but he used to have like three release points too. So uh, if it gets real, uh, real iffy for him, he can start to do the El Duque, and uh, and and see if he can get some outs just uh, with your three different release points. I think that bullpen is uh, probably okay now because they'll now just hope that some young guys pop and, and jump in there with those other guys. Um, and right now, you know, the rotation, Otani, Syndergaard, Sandoval, Lorenzen, Detmers, Suarez, might look good with one more in them. It might look good with a Rich Hill in there. Two episodes in a row. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're to shut that down right now. Uh, <laughs> It's my Brewers. Rich Hill is my Brewers. They still need an in middle infielder. Holy cow. Among the many places where I still think Trevor Story would be a great fit, mm-hmm. uh, Andres Munoz, who I think people maybe forgot about a little bit. He was part of that big trade that the Mariners and Padres made, the Austin Nola. Like, geez, who else was in that? Luis Torrens was in it. Uh, Ty France was in it. A bunch of players were in that deal. So, he gets a four-year, $7.5 million deal. I think it buys out all of his arbitration years. There's some team options in there. He's coming back from Tommy John late in 2021. The reason I think this is interesting is because when you start looking at the the Mariners' bullpen, you could talk yourself into, oh, let's say five different sources of saves. And I don't know mm. if they're going to really land on any one guy. They've got Ken Giles working his way back. They've got Munoz back in there healthy now. Diego Castillo, who they acquired from the Rays. Paul Seawald, who was great last year. and, and the Great stuff, stuff numbers. Stuff plus love Seawald. Over 100 Ks, I believe, in the regular season last year. Uh, Drew Steckenrider is also there. Diego Castillo was a closer. Yeah. Close they, to them. 
are they going full raise? I mean, just based on that's a, the, an amazing, the group they have. That's a really good bullpen, man. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong and half of them get hurt and it looks terrible, but I, to me, that's a really nice bullpen. Andres, this is fun. <laughs> so uh, here is the best stuff plus last year with no minimums. Okay. <laughs> uh, number one is just ridiculous. Jack Mayfield with three pitches had a 213 stuff plus. The infielder from the Angels. Number two, Josh Reddick with one pitch had a 166 stuff plus. <laughs> So so position players do such weird stuff when they go out there the and pitch. It just breaks it. Yeah. Mike Freeman, four pitches, 166 stuff plus. Andres Munoz with 17 pitches, 154 stuff plus. Okay. I mean, that would also break the model in terms of what uh, the elite of the elite relievers who throw a lot of pitches actually get. But uh, Andres Munoz was exciting from you know the time that we first kind of heard about what he could do. Mm. I think he was one of those guys people forgot about. And I honestly have no feel for what I want to do with Seattle's bullpen. And I'm going doing the reliever rankings. I yeah. think I've got four or five guys ranked inside like the top 40 to 50 relievers. Oh, and we had, we had a draft. I was just doing a draft and hold and we were kind of like, let's just, I, I was like, Seawald stuff plus is great. You know? And he was like, dude, I don't like in a draft and hold situation. I just don't want to take part in it because in draft and hold, you you know, handcuffing does make some sense to buy like two relievers in one bullpen and hope that you get the relief the closer there. I, I think to to really handcuff this Mariners bullpen, you'd have to buy like four, and you shouldn't do that because it could be number five four who roster ends up spots, yeah. the team. <laughs> and it could be Munoz. You buy everybody but Munoz, and it's Munoz. Yeah, you're you're just limiting your own ceiling going that route. I mean, I I initially have Seawald ranked the highest and. As this gets more complicated, he's going to fall probably down to the, I don't know, 20 to 25 range because I expect him to get the most. And the guys in that range, it's like Gregory Soto, who I think was named the Tigers closer in A.J. Hinch's end of season. Like Prescott, like it was one of the questions someone asked him, like in one of his recent media sessions, someone asked it. He's the guy, at least for now. So maybe you put him like in that range. Lou Trevino... Scott Barlow, the Royals are a shared situation. Trevino, Lucas I think, Sims. is one of the worst incumbent closers in, in baseball. Yeah, so in the cluster sort of, of teams, <laughs> the Padres are part of this mess right now. I mean, for now, Mark Melanson's still a free so you're agent. Talking about, you're talking about like relievers 25 through 28. I think that's that's the low end of where Seawald's going to fall. Seawald's so, I think he's undervalued and I think like just generally in real baseball and I would love to have him on my team and I think they did such a great job coaching him up but in terms of like saves and fantasy, I'm not sure he's a great bet. Well, what they said today, Paul Seawald's our closer. We're going to have one closer. Everybody else is going to be flexible. Paul Seawald's the guy. We're making the Paul Seawald video. We're making a Paul Seawald <laughs> song. We're having Paul Seawald day would, at the he, ballpark he, every Sunday. It would zoom up a little bit, but I'd still be I'd still be worried. A member of Paul Seawald's family will throw out the first pitch every Sunday, home game, all season long. Uh, in that case, he would be probably fringe top 10. He'd be right yeah. near Jordan Romano. Yeah. What's the difference between those two guys? If you Yeah, because Romano job plus loves Romano, but I'm all over Romano because I just don't see as, as much of a, a challenge to his throne. 
and there's a 250 pick gap in very early ADP between Seawald and Romano. Like job security is, uh, it's going to cost you deal. something. Yeah. <laughs> Woof. I mean, that's brutal. Uh, other relievers that signed, we got Kirby Yates getting a multi-year deal with Atlanta. He's coming back from Tommy John. His surgery was in March, so he might not be ready for the start of the season. Could even miss a few months into the season. He's Ray's had surgeries before, their, like four million. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, like, I, I, I don't have any expectation for Yates to do anything in the short term. Eventually, he could be a problem for Will Smith, but not worried about that in the first part of the season. Will Smith is the biggest impediment to keeping his own job. Like he just needs to be. Locked down to keep it. Mm-hmm. Daniel Hudson went to the Dodgers, so or stayed. He was on with the my Dodgers. top ten, top ten list for stuff plus for free agents. That's the other bullpen right now with Kenley gone. How much do we want to assume it's Blake Trinan? I think that's a question we'll probably wrestle with a lot in the next uh, next few months. I would assume got- Trinan. I think he would. I would have him above Seawall. Just I think he's a little bit closer to not having as many contenders to the throne, but. You know, depends on when you're drafting too, because Kenley handing out there, I feel like there's at least a chance that the Dodgers re up Kenley. Yeah, I have Trinan at number eight among relievers, right ahead of Romano, actually one spot uh, or two spots ahead of Kenley I Jansen. I mean, it's nasty well. stuff. And right now he seems alone, but, you know, if they sign Kenley Jansen, all of a sudden he, you know, Trinan's at 35th. It's overranked based on ADP, but some sort of weird confidence that he's the guy and Kenley Jansen's not coming back rooted in nothing. I have no sources with the Dodgers. Well, they did not take part in anything before the lockdown, which I think has to do with the fact that they're in the luxury tax and they along, they and the Yankees just wanted to know what the luxury tax implications would be going forward before they, before they made their plans. Yeah, that definitely could be a big part of it. And then I think the last move, the last reliever, Daniel Bard staying with the Rockies, avoiding arbitration. I would have thought he was maybe a non-tender candidate. Good for him that he's sticking around. Uh, still not a bullpen that I'm interested in whatsoever. Aside from... Estevez is the closer, is my guess. Even with all the usual issues, though, in Colorado, where they've had a few decent closers, we've talked about that before, they are a legitimately awful team. Like They are bad. Like They are going to struggle to win games, maybe not to the degree that the Orioles have in recent years, but opportunities are going to be a problem and I think Bard has kind of pitched his way more into like the bridge roles as opposed to the end game roles because they made that change late in the year yeah if you had to take a chance Carlos Estevez or Robert Stevenson I think would be the two that I would think about as the most likely sources of saves but I think we did it I think we got through another massive list of transactions which is uh it's great because they're going to be gone for a while and we're going to have to find ways to answer questions and do some other things so Mm. if you've got mailbag questions that have been sitting in our inbox for a long time there's a good chance they'll be dusted off and answered in this upcoming stretch Uh, we'll also look at early drafts we'll talk about draft and hold strategy let us know what you're interested in hearing about He's on Twitter at Unoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Give Britt a follow at Britt underscore Giroli. Be sure to barrel up on the like button if you're watching us on YouTube. And uh, you can drop us an email. Ratesinbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to contribute to that inbox. And again, fresh questions are good, but we'll get to some old ones uh, along the way. Uh, also, be sure to get a subscription to The Athletic. If you don't already have one, the Cyber Monday Black Friday deal is over. We're back to the typical 33% off for the first year. Still a good deal at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.